So, for instance, I go in there and am I fulfilling my promise to the customers? Okay, I'm, everybody should have a promise that they're giving to their customers. Are they fulfilling it? If not, what system can I create to make sure I am? Do we have a repeatable sales funnel that says, okay, if someone comes into the business, like we get a lead of some sort, a widget lead or a real estate lead or whatever it is, are that is that person getting followed up with? Do they have all the information they need? That's all systems that can be built by an operations person that says, okay, let's put them on a drip campaign, build it. Let's put them on client appreciation. If we have clients, how do we appreciate them? Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. I have Stephanie Brackett on the show today, and it's going to be amazing because a lot of times we bring on these amazing investors and all these people, but today we get the special privilege of bringing on Stephanie, who is the queen of clarity. She's the person that gets down to the bottom of a business and helps create systems that allows that business to scale. And this is something that is not talked about nearly enough. So if you're at a place where your business is starting to move and thrive, but it's hitting all these bottlenecks, it's limiting, it's plateauing, this is the conversation that you want to listen to. We're going to get, hopefully get some clarity here from the queen of clarity and the people she works for. I could tell you from verified knowledge, these are unbelievable companies with unbelievable processes and they picked her to run the show on that. So Stephanie, thank you so much for being gracious enough to give us your time and take us into right away. What are some of the ways that these real estate businesses lack clarity when you get into them and how do you start that process? Oh, that's a great question. And first of all, thanks for having me. Super excited to be here. Um, I think probably, you know, I read a book by Mike McCallowitz and it's called, um, oh, I can't remember, Fix This Next is the name of the book. And the, a quote in there, which rings true all the time, is the biggest problem that most business owners have is that they don't know what their biggest problem is. And that's where, that's where systems and operations and all the things come in. We build these big businesses, but we don't build them to scale. We don't build them with a really solid foundation of systems. And that's when things start falling off, you know, falling off track or falling off the rails. It just, they don't understand how important it is to build that foundation first and then build on top of that to scale. So they build a business that relies on them to be in the business for the business to run. Let's talk about base level. So you got an entrepreneur, he's hitting multiple six figures, maybe seven figures of gross revenue, some good profit, because again, he's in the business. What is the, the most, the, the method that is most likely to actually work for him to be able to document systems? That's a, uh, first of all, probably he needs a who. That's going to be what happens is he's got to have someone, he or she has to have someone following that person around documenting all the processes because most of these business owners how they got there is all in their head they didn't write it down anywhere they don't have a documented system or process on how they got where they got so they really need a who i don't know any really successful business owners that have been able to sit and document all the processes themselves it's just not there those visionaries those rainmakers those big thinkers business builders they're great at big thinking they're not great at documenting and sitting down and saying, okay, what's step one? How do I do this thing? How do I dive into this process and make sure that I can make it repeatable and do it over and over and over again, scalable and repeatable? How much instruction should the business owner have to give that person for that to work? Should it, should, should it be automatic? Like, hey, you should just know what to do. 
a really great admin can kind of figure out within about 30 days of watching the biggest needs of the business. They should be able to dive in and really sit there and look and say, okay, I've, I've observed for 30 days and now I see that there's a big need here and there's a big need here and there's a big need here. When I first started on my real estate team back in 2011, the, the latest one that I just worked for, the, my very first day I walked in and, and the agent I was working for did about uh, 200 transactions a year, right? So pretty good business. Solid. I walked in the door and he's like, I got to go install a sign. And I was like, wait, what? Why are you installing a sign? No, uh-uh. You will never install another sign. I'll go put in the sign. I'll be right back. And then when I got back, I figured out how I was going to hire a sign installer immediately day one, right? That was not a $500 an hour activity and he was doing that thing. So a really good admin can look and see, okay, where can I leverage and how do I keep my visionary in their top 20% and I'll take care of everything else. So, uh, you know, you just, you have to hire the right person, which takes a little practice and time, but it's so important to do it right the first time because that person literally will start paying the business back 30 to 60 days. Now we talked pre-show about your personality because I wanted to get some insight into you. Like what's your Enneagram? What's your disc? What, what are all these things? I'm expecting to hear like I'm a CS, right? Because you're in, you're like, no, I'm a DI. I have like no C, no S. When someone's looking for this position, are they looking for a CS? Are they looking for a DI? Is, like, is it the DIs that will create the systems? It depends. So it depends. Um, I know a lot of DIs in the industry. I'm friends with a lot of administrative professionals across the country. And there are a lot of us DIs out there. What you have to find is, in my opinion, is a DI that's risk averse. Because a DI that is not risk averse, they're starting businesses. They're the ones that are actually creating this. If you get someone that is risk averse, they're like, oh, I want to run fast and I love people. But I, I don't really want to work on a commission basis or I don't want to... I don't want to put my own money into this business and then pray that it works out. So I've always been very risk averse, which I think is what contributed to my ability to be a great operations person because I am a DI. I'm a driver. I see the big vision. I, I know what I want and I know where I want to take the team. I just don't want to put my money on the line to do it. I'm willing to be the person behind the person that's doing those things, that's taking on all the risk. And so it depends. I've seen SCs really excel at it. I've seen DIs. I've seen DCs. I don't know that um, your disc personality is a, um, I don't know what the word is. I don't know that it's like the perfect way Indicator. to determine if you're going to have success. What that yeah. person does have to have 100% of the time is drive. And that's something that's not teachable. In my opinion, I don't think you can teach someone to have drive. If someone's like a five out of 10 on the drive scale, you might be able to get them to six or a seven through some motivation, but they're not going to be a 10. Yeah. And my gas pedal is always at a 10. Go, 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 go. <laughs> As a DI, I could sense that you've kind of opened my mind up and I'm just trying to process it here on the fly, but you've opened my mind to the risk averse DI. I didn't know such thing existed, right? I just thought DI there. So is would you say that that's just a personality type that exists, that it's kind of like a unicorn, go find it? Or do you think it's like circumstantial? It's like, well, hey, you know, maybe is it more female DIs might be more risk averse or is it circumstantial? Like, 
Mm. For you, like, have you always been risk averse? Yeah. Yep. I, I like the security of, in, in fact, when I took this job, so my old job, um, my salary, I had a good salary. And then my, my bonus was based on the number of transactions we closed and we closed like 700 transactions a year. So I knew like it was pretty sure bet my, my bonus was going to be a good bonus every year. So when I was interviewing for this job, you know, we were, I was talking with Matt, my boss, and he was like, well, here's the salary I can offer you. And here's your bonus. And I'm like, well, can we talk? I wanted a higher salary. I'm like, can we talk about the salary? He's like, sure, we can talk about it. But just know that if I raise your salary, your bonus is going down. Would you rather bet on you or bet on us? And I'm like, damn it. For the first time in my life, I'm betting on me. And I took the lower salary with the higher bonus. And for, for the first, I mean, I'm 52 years old, right? And the first time in my life, I bet on me. And I was like, holy crap, I'm so glad I did that. So my risk averseness is starting to shift slightly, but I've always been risk averse up until this point. I always wanted the higher salary and the low risk. And so I, I don't know if it's a taught thing, if it's an environmental thing. I don't know if it's a female male thing. I, I, I've never been able to place my finger on it, but I know a lot of people I talk to and work with in the admin industry, they're just naturally risk averse. And that makes total sense to me from a CS, right? You're conscious, you, you prefer stability. The interesting thing is the DI is, is obviously generally the opposite of that. So as far as discovering that in an interview process, is it as simple as saying like, hey, you know, tell me about how much you like risk? You know, are you more of a security person or are maybe there are better questions to ask to find out? Yeah. Talk to me about a risk you took in your life and what does that look like? Yeah. Just get him to, you know, when, when was the last time you did something where you were really unsure of what the outcome was and you did it anyway? Like get him to give you stories and um, actual case, case scenarios of when they did something. That's, I would get them thinking about that because a lot of people will just say, mm, well, I don't really take risks. I have a daughter. She's, a, um, she's an SC and she's very non-risk averse. I mean, she quit her salaried job and started a real estate photography business with no idea if she was going to make money. She had no clue. She's like, well, all I need to do is make, I just need to take this many photo appointments a week to replace my salary and I'm going for it. And she did it and she turned it into, I mean, she's 20, she's 30 years old now. She just turned 30 and she turned it into a six figure business in a year. And I would have never done it. I would have been like, you know what? I'll, I'll keep my $50,000 a year salary. And I'll, that's how I would have thought at that age. I would have never done it. What are some of the key ways to understand talent other than, hey, let's try you for a month and it doesn't work? <laughs> That's a great question because I think talent is to me inherent. It's not, it's very hard to discover in an interview process. It really has to be about, tell me stories about how you've handled certain situations in your current job or in your previous job. I think that if you can get people talking about their successes, you can see where talent came in. And I love big thinkers who can take an idea. I always say the best administrative assistant is one that knows what their boss needs before their boss knows they need it. Hmm. And that's the way you can really figure out if someone's good. And, and some people just don't have the ability to like, so say my boss asked me for something, I go do that thing. I get ready to present it to him and then I look at it and say, okay, what questions is he going to ask me if I give him this? Let me go answer those questions and then I'll hand him 
this plus this plus this. And that's a, that's a trait that not a lot of people have is forward thinking. And that's what you have to dig into in the interview process. So if I told you, you know, you could ask the questions, hey, if I gave you this project, tell me how you'd tackle that. Well, I'd probably go do this and this and this. And then I would do this and this, and then I would do this and this. See how deep they think into that project. Do they go just surface? Do they go the next layer? Do they go the next layer? How does their mind work? That's how I would really try and uncover it in the interview process. How, how they think you, is different than what they think. It, well, exactly. And how deep do you need to go before you become confident that like, okay, this person probably has it. You know, it's always a gamble. Um, Lindsay Soprani is a good friend of mine and she runs Soprani Consulting. And, and that's one of the things, she, I mean, she's interviewed thousands of people, thousands of people. And she's like, I think I'm almost to the point where I could figure out what the secret sauce is and just trying to connect the dots with all this data to figure out what is it that I saw across all those people that was the deciding factor as to whether or not they were going to succeed in that job. So I think the only way for someone to know is to do it so often and collect data. So it's always going to be a gamble. So unless you're running a recruiting company that has a ton of data as a business owner, you're not going to know. A lot of it is gut feeling. I mean, I've hired a lot of people in my life to work for, you know, the companies I worked for and 90% of the time they worked out. Like my gut was right. Wow. I could tell that they were going to be good. Um, 10%, I was totally wrong. I don't know there's a 100% chance that anybody's going to know they've got the right person until they actually get them in that seat. And, and, you know, I've had people tell me, well, I do a trial run. I bring them on for 30 days and see how they perform. And they know and I know this is a trial. I'm yeah. not committing. We're not getting married. We're just going to date for 30 days and see how it goes. And if we don't like each other, then we'll part ways at the end of 30 days. No hard feelings. Yeah. So what feeling needs to be there at the end of 30 days? Is it like, hey, I want to marry this person? Or like, can it be like, I like this person more now than I did 30 days ago? I think I like this person more now and I actually see the potential. I could see this working out. And honestly, you have to like the person personally. No one wants someone working for them and no one wants to work for someone if you just don't like them. So there's got to be that chemistry just as far as personalities go that mesh together because that's just, it'll cause friction later if you just don't like really like the person. What, what uh, generally should these team leaders be thinking as far as compensation goes? I get that question a lot and you know, you have to be willing to pay for talent I think, you know, I was in the Keller Williams world for a long time with real estate and Gary Keller like was, you know, he wrote the millionaire real estate agent and the very first hire in that book is supposed to be your executive assistant or assistant executive. And he in the book clearly states like you have to be willing to pay for talent. And I think that's what a lot of people miss <laughs> is they expect to get this person, you know, and then they don't want to pay for it. One of my really good friends messaged me yesterday and she's like, hey, I'm thinking about leaving. I mean, she's making over $100,000 right now on a team that she's been on for like eight years. Extensive talent. Like she's extremely talented. And she wants something local. She's working remote. She'd rather have something local. So she gets a job offer from this agent who wants to pay her $36,000 a year. Like that, 
you're not going to get someone with eight years experience. $36,000 a year is going to get you like an intern level, someone right out of college. So they have to be willing to pay. If they want and if they hire the right person, like I said before, that person will 3x their salary almost immediately. Almost immediately. I was on a panel at a like a conference with my, my last boss. It's probably four years ago. And he told them, the panel was about the, you know, the visionary integrator relationship. And he told the audience, they said, you know, how did you know Stephanie was the right person? And he said, because I went on vacation two weeks after I hired her for the first time in four years. I hadn't been on vacation because I couldn't leave my business. And not only did my phone not ring, nobody bugged me, but she listed a house. She sold a house like for him while he was gone. I just took care of it. His wife texted me on vacation and said, I cannot thank you enough. I have not had him unplugged in four years. Wow. So that's the kind of, you got to pay for that. That's not, that's not cheap. You got to pay for it. And I was well compensated for what I did. Without diving into your compensation, like I'd like to, to really like, you mentioned it's not 36,000. Is it a hundred? Is it 150? And I know each situation is different, but it depends on how big your business is that you're running. If you want someone that's going to be your assistant and hire operations people for you and manage those people and run a big business, it, it is a six-figure salary. Yeah. If, if they're managing people, I was managing on my last team, I was managing 15 people. So it was me hiring and managing 15 people, writing all the systems, creating all the systems. And it's a six-figure, I, I was making over six figures to do it. Yeah. So it depends on what you want. If they're your sole administrative assistant and they're just basically your very first hire, you're probably going to start them somewhere around 40 with a bonus potential. But you get you, the more people you add underneath them, the bigger their salary needs to get. Everyone who listens to our show knows Tim and I are passionate about obtaining financial freedom through real estate investing. We also know that everyone's situations and goals are different. And while there are programs out there that show you a path to financial freedom... Many of these programs are just too cookie cutter and don't take your personality, situation, and desired outcome into account. Think about the number of times that you've watched a guru online and tried to do the exact same thing as they did but had nowhere near the same results. You are not alone. When I got started, I was continually paying for courses and getting only partial results until I discovered the path that made sense for me. The results prove this out. Most online course creators have let us in on their dirty secrets that 90 to 95% of their students never complete their course and achieve their desired outcome. This is not something that we're okay with. The benefit of working with Tim and I is that we are interviewing between five and 20 people every single week. We have accumulated hundreds of seven-figure strategies and gotten inside scoop from these successful entrepreneurs. We're able to work with you to pick the strategy that will best fit and then help you create the custom plan to take you quickly into financial freedom. As a former math teacher, I always taught my students that the fastest way between two points is a straight line. If you want to get rid of the many curves in the road that can make the journey longer and more costly, then go to coaching.freedomchaserspodcast.com and book a call with us. And let's get you on a straight line path to freedom. It needs to be 100%. There, yeah. That's where a lot of companies go wrong is increased responsibility, not increased compensation, and then burn out and people then, then exit. Oh, totally. Yeah. So let's talk about the transition. Let's transition into how do we get clarity in these businesses? Like you walk into a business, let's say it's a complete tornado has gone through this business. It feels like, I mean, maybe like you're 
the boss you worked with right before he went on vacation, not saying it was, but maybe what, what are your first steps? Figuring out what their top 20% is. What, what is this business? What are we trying to do? What's our goal? Are we selling houses? Are we selling widgets? Or what are we, what are we doing? Are we selling things? Are we providing a service? Like gets, let's get clarity on what we're doing and what our goal is for what we're doing. And then, like I said earlier on Mike McCallowick's fix, fix, fix this next book, like the bottom, he, he talks about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? If you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs for humans, the very bottom level is safety, security, food. The very bottom level for a business is sales, period. If you don't have sales, I'm not really worried about profit or systems. I got to have sales. So that's what I would dig into first is what, what are our sales look like? Are we doing everything we can to increase sales and to meet our sales goals? If the answer is no, I need to stop right there and fix the sales. You've got to get clear on what's wrong in the business right now. If sales are great, then I move on to profit. Okay. And if I'm doing tons of sales, but I'm not making any money, then I've got to dig in there. What's wrong? Where is it broken? If you're running a real estate team, is your cost of sale too high? Do you have too much fixed labor? Where, where is the profitability going wrong? And then once you get past that, then you can move on to order, which is where you have systems and processes and documentation. So that's how I always go in and get clarity is let's fix what's broken, the most important broken thing first. I'm not going to go try and fix all the systems if they don't have sales. Love this. And this would be a breath of fresh air for most you know, single agents, team leaders, recognizing that you're hiring an admin that's going to focus on sales first. So let's get specific here. So what level, like if you're, if you're running a real estate team, which I know you have, like what level of sales, million dollars a year, 5 million in GCI, like what level are we focused on sales before we start turning to these other pieces? Enough to support whatever it is your goal is. So if you, if you, how much do you personally need to bring home as a team owner? How much do you need to support your lifestyle? If you don't have enough sales to do that, you got to fix that. Okay. I do have enough to support my own personal lifestyle. Okay. Do I have enough to pay all my employees? Perfect. Okay. All right. You're building upon building upon building. So that's what I would do is just like, what's my personal income? If I'm a, if I'm an owner of a company, how much do I need to make to support my lifestyle? That's where I go first. So that's how you dive in and figure out how much, how much sales do you need? I got to support this. I got to make a profit. Here's the bills I got to pay. So you come in, what are generally ways that administrative minded people can increase sales right off the bat? It's systems, all systems. So for instance, I go in there and am I fulfilling my promise to the customers? Okay. I'm, everybody should have a promise that they're giving to their customers. Are they fulfilling it? If not, what system can I create to make sure I am? Do we have a repeatable sales funnel that says, okay, if someone comes into the business, like we get a lead of some sort, a widget lead or a real estate lead or whatever it is, are that, is that person getting followed up with? Do they have all the information they need? That's all systems that can be built by an operations person that says, okay, let's put them on a drip campaign, build it. Let's put them on client appreciation. If we have clients, how do we appreciate them? Database system, massive system that has to be built. What does our database system look like for our clients? How do we touch them consistently and make sure that everybody in there is getting touched frequently? Those are the systems they build to create sales. Reviews, right? Do we have Google reviews? Are we out there getting reviews for our products and services? In real estate, 
you're 2.7 times more likely to close a lead from a referral than you are from a cold lead. Why you've got to have something that's asking people to give out your name and number or give you the name of number of someone they can help in real estate. You have to have, it's way easier business. That's working smarter, not harder. Awesome. And so essentially step one is sphere of influence, past clients, referrals, et cetera. And then it could be maybe things like building mailer campaigns, running exactly. Facebook ads, et cetera. A lot of the administrative based. Correct. All of those systems. Like, I mean, there's probably, I don't know, I can think on a real estate team, there's probably 60 different systems that are running simultaneously, right? You've got an open house system. You've got a past client system. You've got a review system. You've got a contract to close on the buy side, contract to close on the list side, listing system, pre-listing system. All of those systems are all running simultaneously and your admin needs to build all of those. And when you're just starting out, they're simple systems. They may just be a checklist on a spreadsheet. When you're running a massive team, they're huge systems and they're automated as much as humanly possible. I'd like to talk to you, get your wisdom on, on growth. So there's some people that seem to be truly, you know, uh, they, the risk is enjoyable for them. Other people, like you mentioned earlier, risk averse. Like, I feel like I, I love risk in the sense that I love branching out and creating new ideas and reinventing myself. But it's interesting, like I find an inverse relationship to financial risk in certain ways. So it's like the more that I save and have stacked up and invested, the more I feel like I need to be protected, which is sometimes can be counterintuitive. What, what is a framework maybe that somebody could use when they're scaling? Like at, at what point do they hire? What point do they reinvest? Uh, how should people think financially about scaling and growth? I would say it depends on how secure you are. Right. If you're teetering, the last thing you want to do is invest in something that's highly risky if, if it's all your money. Right. So say you have $100,000 in your 401k and you're like, OK, I'm going to move it into a Roth IRA or a self-directed IRA and I'm going to go invest that in real estate. Real estate's risky. Right? We're all looking at it right now. Like if you want to go buy real estate right now, interest rates are high. <laughs> Prices are high. It is risky. Would it be a good long-term investment? Sure, but I'm not gonna go take my whole hundred, that's like my whole retirement, $100,000. Someone shouldn't go stick that in the real estate market. So I think it depends on how much you have and how willing you are to bet that you might lose that. I mean, you look at like, you know, venture capitalists and they dump tons of money into hundreds of companies hoping that one or two hit it big. That's what they're doing, but they have a ton of money to do that. So it depends on, <coughs> excuse me, how much you actually have, how risky you're willing to be. I would never take all my eggs and stick them in one basket. Look at what happened to everybody with cryptocurrency. Some people took everything they had and they're like, ooh, I'm going to make it big. I'm going to bet big and I'm going to dump a ton of money into crypto and then boom, crypto's gone. Yeah. So I would say a very well diversified is going to be your best bet. And it's almost the same as venture capital, but on a different scale, you're instead of venture capital, investing a ton of money in a bunch of startups, hoping one hit big, you are investing all your money in a bunch of little things, hoping that one of them pays off. Totally. When you're hiring your first Epic admin, how many months of their salary should you have on hand? Maybe what basic level of, of gross income should you have coming in the business? Great question. I would say, A, it depends on the industry. 
Yeah. If you're on an industry that is fluctuating heavily, like real estate, six months. I would say you have six months of reserve before you hire your first assistant. If you're in a pretty stable industry, you know, just like retail sales or something that's fairly stable and you can, you've seen that it's pretty good and consistent, 90 days. I'd have 90 days of salary. God, this is great. Okay. So, so you make the first admin, you do the 30 days, it goes well. Like the person that you're describing is a person that can, can do systems from a sales side, then they could hire. I mean, this person is, is pretty incredible. And so like, how, like, I guess, what's the journey? So you hire them, they're successful. Like, where does it go from there? I mean, it, should the business owner do like just a straight release to them from the beginning? Do they maintain control? What does it look like? You know, I had a, a call with about five business owners on Tuesday this week. They asked me to hop on a call with them about hiring and scaling. And, and we were talking about it. And, you know, you have to be super clear on what the person should be able to do at the end of 30 days, what they should be able to do at the end of 60 days, and what they should be able to do at the end of 90 days. Like, hey, by the end of 30 days, you should be able to manage my email inbox. You should be able to make sure my calendar is like totally dialed and I know exactly where I'm supposed to be, when I'm supposed to be there, and I have everything I need to do whatever I need to do at the place that I'm at. Um, like really specific things at 30, 60, and 90 days so that you and that person kind of grow together all the while you're building trust. Right. If you ask my boss now, he, I asked him the other day, I'm like, I think we've been working together a year and mind you, we're remote. I, I live in Idaho. He lives in Texas. So we don't get to spend a ton of time face to face, but we do a lot of zooms and texts and chatting. But if you ask him, he would say that I respond to people that email me asking for something 99% of the time, the exact same way he would respond. And so we've developed that level of trust where he's like, yeah, you just respond. You take care of it. You take care of it. You take care of that. So as you're hiring, you've got to be building that trust with that person. Give them enough so that they can go. Give them enough rope so they can try it and then give them feedback. Hey, that was great, but I would have maybe also mentioned this. Yes. Or maybe I would have possibly done this. So it's a two-way street. You're giving feedback and getting feedback and developing trust so that at the end of 90 days, that person is really kind of a mini you. They're a mini you and they can respond the way you would respond. They can do things the way you would do things. Once you have that trust, then you can start just, okay, now I need you to do this. Now take over this. Now I want you to own this, own this, and just start getting all of that 80% off your plate so that you can, as the business owner, can go do the 20%. That's really going to create growth. Love this. And so the person, so like, I guess going back to your relationship with David, like at the beginning, what, what sort of like meeting frequency did you guys have? What was the process to build that trust? Yeah. So it's Matt King is my actual boss that I work for. Yeah. And he's the one that I, David, well, David owns the company. Matt is his yeah. uh, chief of staff. So Matt and I are the ones that talk all the time. Um, when we, when I initially hired on, he's like, okay, this is what we'll do. I'll have you come to Austin for a week each month for the first three months. And then we'll go to like once a month or once every three months, once a quarter we'll meet. I went the first week and he's like, it, we're good. 
<laughs> like he just knew that like we didn't need to be attached at the hip for me to get in his head through texts and email and everything. So it just depends on the person. Like if the person's quick and they, they got to freaking pay attention. That's just it. They have to be so acutely aware of like I, my brain just constantly is taking input of data. Okay, he does this or Ooh, he likes this or this is how he likes things on his calendar or this is how he um, talks to people or this is how he would respond or these are his priorities. They, you're, the admin person just has to be keenly aware about everything. Like you need to be a sponge and soak in everything so that you can literally be that person. I can ask myself, what would Matt do? And then respond that way. And so it depends on the person. Some people, they like follow them around for 30 days. You hire someone, have your admin literally in the car with you on every phone call. My, my agent used to sit in his office and lead generate with the door open and I'm outside, right? I'm literally right outside listening to everything he says. He leaves it on speakerphone. He's on the call with someone. He's like, oh yeah, oh yeah, sure. I can get you updated comps. That'd be great. Done. He hangs up the phone and the comps are in his email for him from me because I'm listening to what he's saying and I'm doing the things while he's talking and he's just shooting comps to the, he like gets off and shoots. Hey, here's the comps we talked about. The people are probably like, was he doing the comps while I was on the <laughs> phone with him? Right? You're just listening, observing, and then taking, what can I do? What action could I take to help him? What could I, how do I get in his head and do the things he would have done if he could have done them? What motivates you? Like what satisfaction? Like, I mean, cause most people like, they're like, oh, I'm so driven by being great or by being this, but a person that if you find this risk averse DI, like, obviously you're, you're driven by not having to take risk, but like, what, what's the things that makes a great working relationship for you? Opportunity, uh, like literally opportunity. So, um, the reason I left my old team is because I felt like the opportunity was now gone. I was 52 years old. When I stopped working at that company, my paycheck stopped. There was no, there was nothing beyond I wasn't getting anything for what I had built for all these systems that I had built over the last 10 years. I moved here because when I talked to Matt, he painted a picture of what the opportunity looked like for me so that when I stop working, I still have income coming in. And so that's what people need. And, and I've seen it in so many of my friends that are leaving the real estate industry or leaving admin. It's because they have, been kind of the wind beneath the wings of the of the team owner and the opportunity ends when they leave they've built all these things and done all these things but and i'm not saying everybody should give away ownership that's not what I, but you got to be able to figure out how do you create opportunity for those people that goes beyond their monday through friday eight to five job do you you know point partner with them in flips do you you know get some airbnbs with them what do you do? Is there 401k? Is there something that they're getting beyond the, the Monday through Friday, eight to five? That's when you get a unicorn like that. That's how you keep them because they are risk averse, but they don't want to not have, they see you building these businesses and creating wealth and creating passive income. They want that too. They're just risk averse. So help them get that and they will be so loyal and they will stay with you forever. Yeah. And there's, like you said, there's a lot of ways you can do that, right? Like it may be, instead of giving a, a specific pay raise on a year, 
you say, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to give you another $10,000 a year, but this money's going to go into account that you could buy real estate that will, you know, flow passive income for you so that you're on a 10 or 20 year plan to financial freedom. Yep. hundred percent. They will stay forever, forever. And they will be so loyal and they will work their butt off for you. Yeah. Gosh. And I mean, the value of that, I mean, if they're creating three X their value in year one or right away, what's, what's the multiplier over time for somebody that is treated well, what does that oh, look like? Gosh, in probably 20 X. I mean, it's, yeah. it's high, right? One of the things that my old team let me do was sell five. I could, I'm licensed, right? I'm a licensed agent. So I could also sell five houses. I could do five transactions a year as part of an income thing. One of the ones I did was a $1.6 million apartment complex, right? Just a friend, like a, my, it was my daughter's mother-in-law wanted to sell an apartment complex. So like allowing things like that, ways that they can make money that the business doesn't have to write a check for, but the, it's allowing them to make money. That was a great, that was a great opportunity. And I would do five deals a year, every year. You are a unicorn, as you put it, like you're a special person. How there's like, more how, like me. I promise they're out there. I promise. Give me, give me a sense of that. Like, is it, are you 1% of the population? Are you 2% of the population? I would say probably 1% of the population. Yeah. So we might have to look at a hundred to find, to find yeah. a Stephanie, but you'll find them. They're out there. Yeah. I mean, I, I personally know 50 of them. What does the next 12 to 18 months look like for you? That is a great question. I actually have a, you know, working with Matt King has also opened my eyes to being slightly more risk averse. Um, because I, I mean, I get to rub shoulders with 300 high net worth individuals every day. I have started a TC company with my daughter. So I own a TC company. I have a closing gift company with my daughter, the same one who started the real estate photography business. So I have those two companies. I'm going to write a book on how to be an amazing administrative professional. Like, what does that look like? What do you need to know? What do you need to do? And what qualities do you need to have in order to be really successful? And then, of course, continuing to grow my coaching clientele, I, I keep a roster of between 15 and 20 coaching clients. So wow. that's what it looks like for me. And I want to buy my first um, Airbnb in the next 12 months. Awesome. What, what area? In Idaho? We haven't decided yet. It has to be within driving distance, like 12 hours. We're good 12 hours because I actually want to live there half the year because this year we had like the worst snow we've ever had. You've probably seen on the news, all the Utah and Idaho snow and the flooding and the melting. Yeah, I'm out. I'm from Vegas in California. So this much yep. snow. Oh, yeah. So I want somewhere sunny. So Vegas, um, Arizona would be a good one. New Mexico would be okay. So we could drive and live there in the wintertime and then here in the summertime. Incredible. Stephanie, thank you so much for sharing about your life and your business for dropping some gems. I literally had a call today where someone was in a position where they could benefit from what you're talking about because they're a high, high income earner, but they just need people. They need the right people. So I 
super thank you for coming on and sharing. Write down, guys, something you know, learned, whether it's maybe you're not paying enough for your talent, maybe you're not looking in the right places or structuring it properly. But either way, like if you can get 3x or even 20x return on your spend, this might be something to look into. Write it down, share it with somebody you know so they can hold you accountable because freedom's acquired one action at a time. And if you take steps day by day before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Engagement is like gold to us. We can't do what we're doing without it. Reviews and subscriptions, particularly on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, are worth more than money. So please do what you can to support the show. 